thing called Good Friday um, coming up. Um, yeah, and um, this is amazing. I don't know if you've ever been part of this, but if you have not, um, you don't want to miss out on that. Um, man, it's just really, it was a really cool experience last year to go to the middle of our city, um, downtown. It's like at the World's Fair Park Amphitheater. It's on the card you have. And uh, just out in the open, just worship God. And uh, what, what a cool experience to see people that they weren't invited because we didn't get to them that just happened to pass by that day. And um, they stopped and, and they heard the gospel. And uh, man, that's amazing. Um, it's something that you don't get the opportunity for in, in four walls like this. And man, God did some amazing things. And I'm believing him for bigger things this year because God's not just the God of the, the replay, right? He's yeah. not just doing the same thing over and over and over again. But he likes the new stuff because uh, he's creative. And I just expect God's going to do something bigger this year. Um, so A, we want you to be there, but B, we want you to be a part of it uh, because you're not going to experience fully what God's going to do from a chair sitting in that amphitheater. Um, and uh, we want you to be part of what God's going to do. So if you haven't signed up for that, we got sheets in the back. You can sign up for that or just hunt me down. I'll get you one. And second is this Arise Easter Sunday. Um, yeah, we are half-hearted this morning. I love it. I'm going to go back to Florida because at least people are excited to be on roller coasters. Um, ooh, that hurt. Uh, <laughs> um, I didn't mean that as hateful as to come out, but it, it's still true. Um, but um, Easter Sunday is an amazing time to get together and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. That's still a big deal to me. Um, and we're going to do it twice. We're going to do it at 9. Uh, so if you're like an early morning person and then an Easter egg person, then you come in the morning. And then we're going to do it at 11. So if you're like a, I don't get here till 11 anyway, just come when you normally come. And don't, Bridget, don't plan on 1030. Just 11, right? Um, I love her. I'm just aggravating her. And I'm late all the time, so I can't say anything. But, um, but 11 is when that second one is going to start. And uh, we'd love for you guys to be there. But more than that, I just want to say, this is not Christian entertainment. Yep. This is an opportunity for people that don't know Jesus to hear about Jesus. Amen. So invite your church friends. That's great. Um, and you come. That's great. But if, not, if these cards don't make it into the hands of lost people at any point in time, we didn't really do anything. That's right. We didn't do one thing. Um, so I just want to say, like, people are receptive to the gospel around Easter and Christmas more than any other time. And these are just tools uh, in, in the tool belt of God to get those people near the cross. So. Um, get some of these cards. You have some in your chair, I think, and uh, take some of those with you this morning and just pray about like, who God do you want me to give them to? And it's okay if you run out. We got more, right? <laughs> we, we bought like a thousand of them, so you, we can pass those out. And if we run out, we'll get more because we want people to show up and to have the opportunity to hear about Jesus. So uh, I just wanted to say that out loud. If you don't hear about it, you don't know how important it is, then to me, it's very important. So I just want you to know. We want you there, and we expect big things from God. This morning, we're going to be in John 3, and we're going to talk about a story that probably we've all heard at least one time. It's like John 3, you've already probably put 16 in your head, right? Because that's like the most popular verse in all the Bible. Um, and this morning, we're going, to, we're going to grab some context around that verse, and we're going to just talk about this man, um, Nicodemus. But um, before we do that, I just want you to know, the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about this new series, Road to Redemption. And as I was kind of studying for this and looking towards studying for this, in my brain it was, okay, we're going to talk about the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. We're going to like 
pop in somewhere around the Last Supper, and then we're going to talk about um, maybe maybe the garden, and then we're going to go to um, the story where Barabbas did the thing, and then we're going to talk about the cross on Good Friday, and that was like my train going through there. So as I began to study for this, I sat down and I read like every one of those stories in every single gospel, and every time it was like, nope, Mm-mm. nope, <laughs> we're not going to talk about that. We're, we're not there. And then God started pulling verses into my brain about like uh, the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. That's in Revelation, by the way. Um, and then he started pulling verses into my head about um, how in Genesis 3, he prophesied for the first time, right, that there would be this, this uh, seed that would come and he would strike the head of the serpent. Um, and it was like, man, Jesus has been toward, going towards the cross for like all of eternity. The road to redemption didn't start like 33 and a half years into Jesus' life in the last 24 hours. Like Jesus was pursuing the cross because he was pursuing us. And and I thought like, okay, maybe it's Isaiah 53. And I read that. And I mean, what an an amazing account of the suffering servant. And then God just kept pushing these stories in my brain. Every time I'd be like, that was for you. That was for you. That was for you. And then finally he he said, let's just start in the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And let's just talk about some of these moments where Jesus was like, you know what, I'm going through the cross. And, and the first one of those we're going to talk about this morning is John 3. Um, I think it's crazy we're in John 3 and we're already talking about the cross, right? Like this is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Really the only things he's done in his ministry so far is he's like called some disciples He's turned um, water into wine. We'll talk about that some other time. And then uh, he, he cleansed the temple. And then after that, it's this story. He's not been traveling around for like 25 years doing amazing things. Like he's been living his life and 30 years old. He starts his ministry, does just a few things. And here's a story already talking about, hey, we're headed towards the cross. The road to redemption was <laughs> a road that started way before we can even wrap our minds around and this morning we're going to just kick that off in John 3 and it says there was a man from or there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus. So you see this character Nicodemus entered the story and we find out this man Nicodemus is a Pharisee, a religious ruler. Um, he, he's a teacher. He's, he's the guy who's um, or, or maybe a rabbi if you can think of it that way. He's basically a preacher. He's someone that knows the scriptures. He's someone that teaches the scriptures. And this man's entered our story in chapter 3, and it says um, that he was a ruler of the Jews. This man uh, isn't just any old teacher or Pharisee or preacher. He's a a man who is um, in the Sanhedrin, this group. I'm trying to think of what it would be like. It's kind of like the, I guess, Supreme Court of today would kind of debate cases and then decide on cases in the area of Israel. And he was part of that um, group. They would debate this around the Bible. He knew the Bible in such a way that he was put up in front of his people um, to actually interpret the Bible and then declare who was right and wrong in certain cases based on the Bible. He was a man that was part of a council of 71 people. That was how big the... Sanhedrin was, and that sounds like a lot of people, but if you think of like all Israel, it's probably not actually a whole lot of people. He was a kind of an elite in the, in the group. He was a religious leader and then a leader of religious leaders, right? Like he was, he was a somebody. Here he is in the story in verse 3, and it says that this man 
came to him, him being Jesus, at night, and he said, Rabbi, it's this term um, for uh, teacher, basically. It's a term of respect. And he comes to Jesus, and he calls him a rabbi. Um, usually, when the Pharisees use this term, it's kind of a derogatory term towards Jesus, because Jesus, if you don't know, is really just the son of a carpenter to these people. We're three chapters in. He's not done a whole lot of miracles at this point in time. He's not been walking around for years, like healing people. He's, he's the man who's been teaching a little bit, and he's done a few miracles. And here early on in the story, there's something that's caught this man, Nicodemus's attention, and he, he comes to Jesus, and he starts out with this term, um, rabbi or teacher, this term of respect, showing Jesus respect. Can you imagine this uh, Pharisee who's an elite uh, person in a group of 71 religious leaders walking up to a man who's basically a carpenter to everybody else and still paying him this respect. You see that Nicodemus sees something in Jesus. Maybe the rest of the religious leaders don't get. And he starts off a conversation with him. He says, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. We know that you've come from God as a teacher. How many Pharisees are walking around saying that? If you've ever read the story, Pharisees are not a fan of Jesus. Yet here's this man that very early in the story, before Jesus has ever really done very much, he comes up and he says, we know you're from God. Now, who is we? We is the people, right? We is the Pharisees admitting right now. We know there's something different about you. We, we know that you're from God and he sent you as a teacher. I would debate that. I don't think Nicodemus gets the whole picture of what Jesus is there for, but he sees he's got an ability to teach the Bible like nobody's ever done before. And he says, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. He says, nobody can do these things. Man, I've been a religious teacher or a religious leader for years and years and years. I'm part of the Sanhedrin, and I know everybody who's anybody in Israel, and nobody can do the things that you can do. I've seen Pharisees that people would come around and, and, and hear them teach. I've seen Pharisees that everybody wanted to follow. I've seen these leaders, and they've come and they've gone, and nobody's ever been able to do anything like you can do. So we know you're from God. Because how else could you do these things? How else could you perform these miracles? There's something different about Jesus and Nicodemus here. This Pharisee he even sees it, and he says in, in verse 3, Jesus does this really weird thing. He replies, and he says, I assure you, Unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Do you even get what just happened right there? Like, hey, Jesus, um, rabbi, teacher, um, man, you're, I can tell you're a teacher from God. Nobody could do these miracles except they were from God. He's complimenting Jesus, and then Jesus basically just changes the whole conversation. If you look at these two pieces of the conversation, they don't even go together, do they? Like, it's so weird. Imagine you come to me, man, I really like this message today. It was so good. Uh, uh, just, it was the best thing ever. And then I'm like, hey, I really like your shoes. Like, those two pieces don't go together. And this is what Jesus says. He just flips the conversation, and he starts talking about something that we weren't even talking about. He says, I assure you, or I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See, I think what's happening here is it's late, right? We just it comes to Jesus at night. It's late, and Nicodemus is coming in the room, and he's going to kind of beat around the bush, and he's hoping to eventually get to this moment where he's going to ask Jesus a question. 
We're three chapters in, and Nicodemus already sees a couple things. One, there is something completely different about Jesus than anybody I've ever met before. And two, he's from God, and if he's from God, he knows how to get to God. And I may be a religious leader, but maybe Nicodemus has some doubt in his heart. So Jesus looks at him in the middle of this conversation. He's like, let's just cut to the chase. I know what you're here for. I can see your heart. So let's just go for it. I'm telling you right now, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter where you're from. Nobody's going to see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Now, we've heard this term a million times, right? Like born again, born again, born again. If you grew up in a Baptist church, it's born again. We even add like a letter on the end there. We know, right? We've heard this term, but imagine being somebody who's never heard this term before, right? We do this to people all the time. Oh, you got to get saved. Well, what does that mean, right? Oh, you got to get born again. What does that mean? Like you've heard it, but he's never heard it. And he hears this and he's like, what in the world are you talking about? What are you talking about born again? See, Nicodemus has been around for a few years and he knows kind of how childbirth happens and he's just thinking, man, I'm an adult man, probably got a beard. I don't know how that, that would even work. How am I going to be born again? I've already been born. You can't just make it happen. So Nicodemus says to Jesus, but how can anyone be born when he's old? <laughs> okay, um, how does that work, please? I'm, I'm just, I, I don't think that's going to work. I, I'm an adult and babies are small and, you know, they have to be inside of somebody and I'm not going to fit inside of somebody. So how am I going to be born again when I'm old? Nicodemus asked him and he, he says, can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? How is that even possible? You're speaking nonsense to me. And Jesus answered him, I assure you, Unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus doubles down. I know, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, unless somebody's born of the water, that's the first birth. That's how we get here. Congratulations, you're human and you're on the planet. That's birth number one. And the Spirit, it's a different birth, second birth. It's, it's the born again that he's talking about, that he can't enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, whatever is born of flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of flesh, guess what? It acts like flesh. It talks like flesh. It looks like flesh. It is flesh. And it'll die like flesh. Amen. But whatever is born of spirit, man, that's something different. It's something new. It's something you've never seen before. Whatever is born of spirit is, in fact, spirit. Amen. And Jesus says, do not be amazed that I told you I want you to hear that and just realize the context of who we're talking to this morning. Do not be amazed that I told you, Nicodemus, a religious leader who's used your whole life to study the word of God, who knows all the verses and knows all the prayers, who does all the good deeds, who tithes and who wears the right clothes and who goes to church. Don't be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. Can you imagine being Nicodemus who thought he had it all together, right? You got to be 30 years old to even be a religious leader. So Nicodemus is to be a ruler of the religious leaders. It's probably significantly past that in years. To sit on a council of 71 men who judges the tribes of Israel, who, who, who follows through the law and executes the law and even sometimes probably declares the law. To be on this council of men, Nicodemus had to be older in years. He had to know the law in a way most people didn't know it. 
He had to be a trusted religious leader. He had to probably have memorized large chunks of scripture. You could tell probably he's one of those annoying people that even knows where it is when you talk about it. Like, oh yeah, it's Isaiah 22.5. Like, who does that? And this guy can probably do that. He knows all the prayers. He knows all the songs. He goes to church probably every time that he can go to church. Like, this is that guy. And Jesus looks at him and he's like, you know what? Don't be amazed that I told you that you've got to be born again. He says, in A, the wind blows where it pleases. In other words, you can't control the wind. It's fact, right? Like, you can't just walk outside. And if you can, that's cool. You need to show me later. But you can't just walk outside and be like, man, the wind, you should just come down through here and you should zip around through here and go down through there and just blow that tree down. That'd be awesome. You can't do that. You don't have that ability. You don't have that talent. You don't have that gift. That's not something you can do. Nobody can control the wind. The wind does what it wants to do. And he says, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. He says, the only reason we even know the wind exists is because we can see the evidence of the wind, right? Like you go outside and the leaves start blowing around. That's the wind. You go outside and your clothes start kind of going a different direction. That's the wind. You can tell there's wind because there's evidence that there's wind, but you can't control the wind. You can just see that it exists. And he says, so it is with everyone born of spirit so it is with everyone born of the spirit just like you cannot control the wind you cannot control spiritual birth is what he's saying I want you to hear that because I think most of us being raised in this area are raised in an area like I've been raised in and been raised in churches like I've been raised in. And what it is is you just decide whenever you want to come to know Jesus, right? You just, whenever it is, you just get up and you come down here and you say that prayer and then you're good, right? And it puts in our head that we'll just wait till we're X amount of age or till we're done doing this thing or till we're in this stage of life or till we clean up this area of our life and then we'll just give our life to Jesus. And I just want to say like from Jesus, that's not how that works. You can't control the wind. You cannot control salvation. It's not up to you when you come to know Jesus. That's, how, that's what he's saying. You can see the evidence of salvation. So someone that knows Jesus, you can tell the difference, right? Like I know we're not supposed to judge each other, but you can look. You can tell. And, and I'll just be honest. You know if you are or not. Nobody has to tell you. You can make excuses all day long. You can be like, oh, yeah, I'm saved because I said that prayer. Well, you can't control salvation. So who cares about your prayer? That's not how that works. Mm-hmm. But you can tell the evidence. Is there a changed life? Is there a changed desire? Is there, is there a changed heart? Is, am I different today than I was that day? And if I'm not, I've never encountered salvation. I've said a prayer and it was empty and I'm trying to grab at the wind, but I cannot control the wind. Right. See what he's saying to Nicodemus is it's not about your good deeds. Nicodemus, you're, you're a religious leader. You, you, you know this scripture in and out. It's not about your good deeds. It's not about your sacrifices. It's not about what you bring into the temple. It's not about any of that stuff. Where did you get that? See, the whole Old Testament points to the same idea that we're meant to love God, to treasure God, to desire God. Right. And here's a culture of people that have no desire for God. They just have desire for deeds. If I go to the temple, I'll, 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 I'll go to heaven. 
If I do good deeds and I follow the law, I'll go to heaven. See, what it is is they want religion, but they don't want God. And we're living in the same church today, aren't we? We want religion, but we don't want a savior. We want to be saved, but we don't want the person. We want to to do the deeds because the deeds are easy, but we don't want a relationship. And he's like, you're grabbing at the wind, Nicodemus. It's not about your power and your might and your ability and your talent and your effort. It's never been about any of those things. It's never been about one of those things. And all of that is just grabbing at the wind. Your assurance is in your robe and your assurance is in your deeds. There's no desire in your heart. And I think the reason you showed up here today, Nicodemus, is because you know. You just hear this conversation. Why do I not waste time with, with, with flowery words and compliments at the beginning? It's because I know, Nicodemus, I see your heart. And even though you do all the things, and even though you sit in a chair and you, rule, you judge the people of Israel, I know there's no relationship between you and God, and it's leaving you empty. See, Nicodemus is asking a question probably that most of us ask frequently. Is this all there is to it? Is this everything? Is going to church and singing the songs and hearing the messages and reading the Bible and, and, and doing good deeds, is this everything? And Jesus is saying, no, that's nothing. You're describing at the wind. You can't control the wind. I don't care what you've said here. Salvation is from God. You can see its evidence, but you can't control it. So don't be amazed that I say to you, to you, to you, to you, don't be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. The things that look like flesh are flesh. And the things that look like spirit are spirit. If your life looks just like flesh, guess what you are? Flesh. You can make it pretty, but it's still flesh, right? You ever looked at the human body, it's just like a blob of peach goo. That's what it is, right? It's not pretty. We can put pretty clothes on it, but it's not really a pretty thing. You can get new haircuts and shave, you know, but at the end of the day, it's still rough, right? And it's like it's the same way with your life. Some of you guys are like decorating it. Let me put some Jesus on here and sprinkle some church on here. He's like, but it's still flesh if it looks like flesh. If Monday it looks like flesh, you're dead. You're grabbing at the wind. Tuesday it looks like flesh, you're grabbing at the wind. Wednesday it looks like flesh, you're grabbing at the wind. Because if you're born a spirit, you look like the spirit. That's how that works. You ever heard that saying, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck? If it looks lost and it sounds lost, it's lost. It doesn't matter church thing right? right I know there's the church is going to lock hell up one day so he looks at this religious leader this man that should on paper have everything together who for years has been on paper pursuing God but really what he's been doing is pursuing religion and, and he looks at him and he says don't be amazed I'm saying this to you and Nicodemus in 9 looks back at Jesus and he's like, how can these things be? What are you talking about? See, I love this because most of us at this point in time would just walk away, right? Because it gets uncomfortable. Some of you have already shut me off because it's uncomfortable, right? I don't want to deal with do I know Jesus or not. I said that prayer that time. I'm done with the message today. 
It's because you don't really want to know. If you're not willing to ask yourself, do I know Jesus, then you don't really want to know if you know Jesus, right? I'm, I'm, I'm willing to ask myself every day if that's what it takes, because at the end, he's who I want. Not false comfort that leads to hell, but real relationship that leads to life. So, so Nicodemus, unlike a lot of us, doesn't walk away at this moment. He says, how can this be? He's confused, but he wants to know. So he digs and he digs and he digs and he digs, and this is just part of that digging. And I just want to say today, because I believe this with everything in me, if you will continue to look, Jesus will show up. Yes. Right? Like, like if you'll just continue to push into that, Jesus will show up. It's the people that walk away that will never find him. Right? Like, Jesus says weird stuff all the time. This should not be new to us. Jesus, like, there were crowds of people following him. He looks at him. He's like, eat my flesh and drink my blood. No, thank you. You know, I don't, I don't want that. But then what do the disciples say? Jesus looks at him. He's like, are you going to leave too? And he's like, where else will we go? Oh, sure. You say weird stuff, but you have the words of life. I'm, I'm going to stay right here. See, the reality of it is, those of us that know, man, he's the source of life. We won't shut feelings off just because they're uncomfortable. That is the uncomfort is where we're changed. So Nicodemus, he says, how can this be? Can you imagine the pride he had to lay aside to do this? Most of us would come back. I'm a religious leader. You can't talk to me that way. I'm on the Sanhedrin. There's only 71 people like me on this planet. Like, I'm one of the guys, Jesus. You are a carpenter. Who are you to say that to me? But he doesn't do that. He leans in and he's like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Because he knows, right? At the end of it, he knows, man, I'm doing all this stuff, but I'm empty doing all this stuff. And this is what Jesus says back to him. Are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Don't you know this whole thing? You're trusting in your knowledge, yet you don't know. He's not being a smart aleck here. He's just saying, man, you're on the Sanhedrin, brother. There's only 71 of you and you can't get, I'm just talking about the wind and you don't know this. Maybe you shouldn't get angry and run. Maybe you should lean into this conversation because if your knowledge can't get you through this conversation, I doubt it's going to get you into eternity. And Jesus says in 11, I assure you, we speak what we know. Now, he's not talking about him and the disciples here. I just want you to get that. We speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen. And we can talk about the things we know and we can testify what we've seen, but you do not accept our testimony. You, you don't get it. Maybe you haven't seen it. In 12, it says, if I told you about things that happen on earth, we're just talking about birth and wind, Nicodemus. And you don't believe how will you believe it if I tell you about things of heaven? 13, no one has ascended into heaven except the one who descends from heaven, the Son of Man. He says, nobody's been up there except the one who's come down here, the Son of Man. And I don't know if you know this or not, but that's me. We're only three chapters in, but there's a reason you're here today. And I just want you to know, you may not know it all, but you know in you, that's me. And then he says this, 
kind of weird thing. In verse 14, he says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. He brings in this story, I think it's like Numbers 21, that Nicodemus would have been very familiar with. Nicodemus was the teacher, right? Of the law, the Old Testament, all those books before Matthew, right? Maybe even had this memorized. It could have been his favorite story. Who knows? But it's this weird story about how the, the people of Israel in Numbers 21 are basically complaining against Moses and complaining against God. And they say, why have you drug us out here into this wilderness? Now, first of all, that's flawed because it was their sin that led them into the wilderness. Moses tried to lead them into the promised land, and they refused to go into the promised land because of fear. And because of that, they died in the wilderness. So they're in the wilderness, which is caused by their sin, and they're complaining against Moses and against God who tried to give them the promised land. Why have you led us into this wilderness? So God sends this, this basically plague of poisonous snakes into the camp, and people are bitten, and if people are bitten, people die. That's how that works. In this moment of, of judgment, the people realize it's our sin that caused us to be in this place, and what we need right now is mercy. So they go to Moses and they say to Moses, hey, uh, you need to intercede for us. You need, you need to pray for us that God will quit all this stuff. And he does, and God tells Moses to make a bronze serpent and to lift it up in the camp, and whoever gets bitten and looks at this bronze serpent won't die. Isn't that kind of a weird story? Okay, so the serpent is the thing that's killing them. And then the, the, the thing that is the prescription for that is to hang this serpent up, a bronze serpent up in, in the camp. And if you get bitten, if you just trust in looking at that bronze serpent, that you, you'd be healed. It, it would even be frustrating when Moses came back right, to tell that story. Uh, yeah, you guys are sinners, but God said, just if you get bit, just come over here and look at this little metal snake and everything will be okay. It would take faith, right? Like, no, dude, I got bitten by a poisonous snake. I need some medicine. I need like an anti-venom vaccine. I need something. And you're just telling me to look at this golden or bronze snake. You're just, that's weird. No, it would take faith to even begin to do that, right? You would have to be like, okay, that doesn't make sense. But in light of that not making sense, God said it, so I'll do it. And Jesus says, that story that you know so well, is I mean, it's just a foreshadowing of me. It's your sin that's causing your death. The reason you need to be born again is because you're spiritually dead. Because you're a sinner. And it doesn't matter, like, what you do, you're still a sinner, right? And at the end of the day, you, you can't get yourself out of that. If you sin one time, then you are a sinner, and I just want you to know, even though you're a religious leader, Nicodemus, you've sinned way more than one time. Right. So, like, if you pile good deeds on top of sin, like, it doesn't, it doesn't do anything, right? right. This is a, an illustration. It just popped into my head because my brain works this way. But, like, <laughs> say that we just went out to the backyard and got a big pile of dog poop. We just put it on a plate up here in the front of the room, and then we put chocolate chips on top of it. You're not going to eat it. Because at the end of the day, it's still dog food. 
right? You can put whipped cream on it, you can put chocolate syrup on it, you can put whatever you want to on top of that, but I'm not taking a spoon into that. Are you? No. Doesn't matter, right? Top it with gold. I'm not eating that. Like, I don't care what's on it. It's still underneath it, dog poop. And that's what some of us try to do with our life. We're sinners, and we try to pile good deeds and church attendance and knowing the songs and K-Love Radio and nice clothes. We try to pile on that on top of our stinking pile of sin and expect God to take a spoon and be like, oh, that's good, brother. And at the end of the day, we're just trying to cover up the mess that we are. It doesn't do any good. See, what God wants to do is take the plate and chuck it in the garbage can and give us a new plate. So he looks at Nicodemus and he's like, man, that was a story about me and I just want you to know, like, you're a sinner. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how religious you are or who even you lead. You're still a sinner and you're dead without me. But I just want you to know, like, the same way that snake was lifted up, I'm going to be lifted up. He's talking about the cross. We're three chapters in and he's like, man, I'm going to the cross. If I told you in three weeks we were going to crucify you, you'd get out of here. Jesus never ran from it. He said, in the same way, I've got to be lifted up so that when people see me, they'll realize, A, that the instrument of their death is sin, right? It's sin that causes death. You deserve the cross, but I'm going to take it. You, you deserve every ounce of the beating and the shame. You deserve the crown. You deserve the straps. You deserve the nails. You deserve all that, but I'm going to take it. And all I'm asking you to do is like take a serious look. Because I want you to know a few things. One, I want you to know that sin is costly. Sin is costly. If you don't believe me, pay for it yourself. You go find a cross and you be crucified. Sin is costly. And I'll be honest, you're not worth as much as Jesus. Like God emptied out the storehouses of heaven on us when he let Jesus come down. There's one precious thing, and it was the Son of God. Gold we can make more of. We pave streets with it in heaven. It's not really that important. But he looks at us here, he looks at Nicodemus here, and he says, hey, I just want you to know it's the same story. That was the foreshadowing of what's coming now. And for those that will take a serious look in faith, you're dying and you need something, and all you got to do is look to the death and the sin on the cross. Because I want you to see how costly your sin is, but then I want you to know in that same moment, I want you to know how worth it you are. So it's just like the snake was lifted up, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And that's the context this next verse sets around. It says in 16.4, God loved the world in this way. In what way? That he sent his Son to be lifted up. That he sent his son to a bunch of sinners that he should have crushed, that should have been crucified. He sent his son to those people and he traded places so that not we wouldn't have to die, but we could look at the one who died in our place. God loved the world in this way. He gave, God is the giver, not a taker. 
The only thing he's ever taken from me is my sin, my shame, my guilt. God gave his one and only son, the precious son, Jesus, so that everyone, listen to that, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's, that's what God says right there. That's the context of the verse that we all know, right? For God so loved the world in this way that he gave Jesus so that everyone who would look to him, right? Jesus would be lifted up. He would be lifted up on the cross and everyone that would look to him and they would see, man, sin is costly. It's not, I don't want to go to hell. It's, God, I can't believe you love me that much. It's not, I don't want to burn forever. It's, oh my gosh, I can't believe you would do that for me. Yeah. It's not fear that motivates salvation. It's grace. Amen. So that everyone that would look at that and take a serious look and say, you know what, Jesus, I deserve that death. I deserve that death. I deserve that. That should have been me on the cross. That was my cross. I should have been up there. But you did it for me. So that everyone that would look at that in faith would have everlasting life. That's the, that's the context of that verse. And he says, don't be amazed, Nicodemus, that I tell you, you must be born again. It's not about your, your, your good deeds. It's not about your, your power and your might and your ability. It's not about any of that stuff. Some of us are living in that stuff and we're just grasping at the wind. And I want you to know that. Why would Jesus say that to this man? Because Jesus loved this man. Jesus wasn't coming in there trying to rain on his parade and be like, you know what, salvation is an exclusive club and you can't be in it because you're a Pharisee. That's not the thing. And he's not walking in the room today and being like, you know what, you said that prayer, but that prayer didn't mean anything because it was worthless. He's not doing that to hurt you or to harm you. He's just saying, you know what, you, when you said the prayer, and maybe you meant the prayer, you, when you said the prayer, you were looking at something different. You were maybe looking at, I don't want to go to hell. Well, that's not the story of the cross. You were maybe looking at, uh, just, I, I, think, I, I think I'm going to be a good person now. And I say, that's not the story of the cross. Maybe you accomplished that, but that's not the story of the cross. The story of the cross is we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We had been declared dead and we spiritually were dead. We were headed towards physical death. We were living in spiritual death. We were under the power of Satan and there was nothing we could do about it. And we were headed towards the wrath of God. We deserved it. We had earned it. It wasn't God being mean or trying to uh, take a magnifying glass over us. That was just what we had earned. We'd rebelled against God in our sin. And some of us are still living in it. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Messiah. That's the story of the cross. That's the road to redemption. That's the way. And I just want to say today to everybody in the room, the way is not good deeds. If you're trusting in good deeds, you're trying to grab at the wind and you're dead. The way is not sin makes me bad, so I want to be good. No, sin makes you dead and you need life. The way is not, I'm going to come to church and I'm going to sing the songs and I'm going to immerse myself in church culture. No, that makes you dead. It makes you moral dead, but it makes you dead. The way is, oh my gosh, I can't believe that you would do that for me. The way is, 
there is somebody that loves me enough that he came and left heaven to die for me. And my response is not, I don't want to go to hell. It's, I want that. Yeah. I want that. Yeah. And anything short of that is grasping at the wind today. And I just want to say, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Yes. Some of you guys hear that. And I know when you hear that, there's maybe questions that pop up. You're like, but I said a prayer. Let me just ask, let me just ask you this question. And you, you evaluate it. You, you do your thing. If we weren't sitting in this room, would you look like flesh or would you look like spirit? I don't care what you look like today, right? Like today, who cares? It's not a big deal. But like an hour from now, a day from now, Wednesday, do you look like flesh or do you look like spirit? That's a real question. Does your life display a hunger for God? Do you do you want Him? Are you chasing Him? Are you you just trying to get to church the next Sunday? Does your life say, you know what? This man loves me so much. I've been covered by grace, and I just can't look away. Or does it say, I'm just trying to be good. I'm just trying to be a good person just trying to be moral, just trying to earn my way. You, you debate on that, but I, I just want you to hear what Jesus says. He says, you know what? It's been born of flesh. It looks like flesh. But those things that have been born of the Spirit, man, they look like Spirit. They are new, and they are different, and they don't look like everybody else. They don't blend in with your friends at work. That's what happens there. Spirit doesn't blend in with your friends at work. You know why? Because they're not compatible. It's oil and water. They, they separate. Spirit doesn't blend in with the, the jokes people are telling in the break room. That's just that's the truth this morning. I'm sorry. Spirit, it doesn't crave things that are not God things. It's just the truth. Spirit today is not trying to get away from God. It's trying to get to it. And if it looks like spirit, man, you know it. And I'm not trying to convince you of it. I'm just saying for those of you that it looks like flesh... Let's just take church attendance off the table today. And let's just say, that's not going to get you to heaven. And let's take the prayer off the table today. Really? Right? I've said a lot of prayers. Am I trusting in a prayer? Am I trusting in a, a man named Jesus? Let's just take prayer off the table today. That, that moment. Let's just take it off the table. Well, let's take good deeds and morality off the table. I, I know I know moral people who are going to hell, don't you? Let's take all that off the table. And let's just ask, let's just deal with this one question today. Does it look like flesh? Or does it look like spirit? If it looks like flesh today, I just want to say to you, John 3.16 is still the answer, right? Like, nothing that was said before that was like, oh, John 3.16 doesn't work, does it? The, the thing says, what, for God so loved the world in this way, he loved you in this way, that he sent Jesus to die for you, to be lifted up. And whoever would look at that, and in that moment realize their sin, maybe that's the starting place for us today. I'm not worthy of heaven. I'm not worthy of the sacrifice of Jesus. I'm not worthy of that, but thanks be to God, he gave it anyway. Whosoever would look at that, 
And they would see, man, what it really cost heaven to save you and believe. They would have everlasting life. It's still open today. It's still available today. Jesus still loves today. Jesus still saves today. He's still calling today. He's still making ways today. He's still opening up the doors of heaven today. He's still allowing people in today. I'll even say this. He's still calling people in today. And if God's saying to you today, man, your flesh, you can be born again today. But you got to see it. And for those of us that, man, it's spirit for us. And you hear that and you're like, man, thanks be to God. That's for somebody else. I just want you to know that the moment you take your eyes off that cross, life gets harder. The moment you're no longer in the wonder of the cross, life gets harder. The moment that you're not blown away by the sacrifice of God anymore, life gets harder. See, we are meant to be people that live in the shadow of the cross. We're not meant to, oh, thank you for the cross, Jesus. I'm going to go my way. No, that's flesh being flesh. People that are born of the Spirit. And we see and we treasure the sacrifice of the Savior. We see it with, with love and in pursuit in us the, the sacrifice of the Savior. We run toward the cross just like Jesus ran toward the cross. And this morning, if you've lost the wonder of the cross, I just want to say today, it's not too late to just turn right back around and find it again and fix your eyes on it again. I just want you to know the people of Israel didn't throw away the bronze serpent after everybody was healed. They didn't just toss it in the trash can. They carried it around with them for a while. And for a while, it was a reminder. Man, look how far we can walk away. If we don't keep our eyes fixed on that sacrifice. And this morning, I just want to say to you, if you've lost the wonder of the cross, you can come back into that this morning. You can come back into that relationship with Jesus that says, you know what, I don't deserve it. so thankful that you love me enough anyway to give your life for me. 